Open your Bibles this morning to Luke's Gospel, the fifth, or excuse me, the fifth verse in the first chapter. Luke chapter 1, page 855 in the Blue Bible in front of you. Before we read the story, I want to just make sure we're on the same page. This is the story about the birth of John the Baptist. I need to be clear. This is not John the Southern Baptist. This is not even the birth of John the Baptist, capital B. We're Baptists and we're proud of that, but John wasn't one of us. He came before the Baptists. What this means is he was John the Baptizer. All right? I'd love to take credit for him. I'd love to say he's part of us, but he came before us before there were any Baptists. All right? We're going to begin reading in the fifth verse of Luke chapter 1. You follow along. It's a longer story, but stay with me as we read through this text. Luke 1, 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of his service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach 
among the people. Now drop down to verse 57. The story continues. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted the baby to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And the fear came upon all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about all through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Let's take a moment before we try to apply this story to ourselves and the lessons that we can learn today. Let's just walk through the story for a moment and make sure we're all on the same page. Luke introduces this couple to us, never mentioned before in the Bible. I don't think they're ever mentioned again outside of this story. We're told that this couple, Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, that they were a righteous couple, that they walked blamelessly before the Lord. Now that does not mean that they were perfect, That meant that they lived a righteous life, they lived the way that they were supposed to, and in those cases where they didn't, in those times where they did sin, they would do what the law required you to do to atone for your sin. So they lived right, and then they did what was right after they did what was wrong. Does that make sense? They lived righteously. They were a good couple. Not perfect, but they lived well, following the rules of the law verse 7 is key though verse 7 begins with the word but this righteous couple had no child no children to understand this story you've got to hear the tires squealing as the car comes to a screeching halt what this righteous couple has no child Why would a good couple not have children? We're going to look at that in a minute. Not only does Luke tell us that they were a righteous couple, he tells us that they were of the tribe of the priests. They came from a priestly family. That's why we see Zechariah doing priestly duties, because he came from that tribe. Both of them, though, not just him, they both came from the tribe of Aaron, where the priests came from. In that day, there were so many priests, 18,000 of them, there were more priests than they had work to do. And so the way it worked was, as a priest, you would report for duty twice a year, for one week periods. They were on duty 
twice a year, one week each. Basically like our reserves are today in the military. But even then, when your division, when your team was called, they still had too many people, too many priests to do the specific duties. And so they would determine who would do the specific tasks by throwing lots, casting dice. And that's what happens in this story when uh, Zechariah's team, the Abijah team, came to serve They threw the lots and boom, he was picked. He was picked to go and offer incense. This was a great privilege to be able to go into the holy place, to the temple, and to offer incense. It was such a privilege, and they had so many priests, you would get this opportunity once in a lifetime. This was Zechariah's time. He didn't get to go into the holiest place. He went to the place right outside there. This was as close as he was ever going to get to the Holy of Holies. And while he's there, what happens? An angel appears and says, hey, old man, you're going to have a son. The message from the angel was so unbelievable. Zacharias, I don't believe it. He says, I'm an old man. I like the way he worded it. He said, and my wife is advanced in years. Guys, just as a tip, if you ever want to refer to your wife, don't call her old. Advanced in years. He says, and the way it's worded in the original language is he says emphatically, I am old. I don't believe you. And the angel came back. I don't know if angels can get miffed, but this is about as close as you can get to a miffed angel. The angel says, yeah, you're old. Well, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. In the same way that the original language says that Zacharias said emphatically, I am old, the angel said emphatically, I'm Gabriel. I stand with God. Then Zacharias says, well, how will I know that this is going to happen? That is the same question that Abraham asked in the Old Testament when he was told as an old man that he was going to have a son. And the angel says, well, here's how you're going to know, buddy. You won't be able to talk for the next nine months. How's that? Don't tick off an angel. Just telling you. He says, you won't be able to talk. And from that point on, he couldn't talk. Sure enough, he couldn't speak for the whole pregnancy And then eight days afterwards, he couldn't talk either until the time of circumcision when they named the baby. This couple goes from having no child to having a special child. They go from being pitied to being envied by many. Verse 65 said that this thing was talked about all over the area. 
Everybody was talking about this old couple that had a son and what was going on. This morning as we start our Christmas sermon series, I want to remind you that Christmas is not just about some historical facts from 2,000 years ago. Yes, Christmas is historically true. We believe these things really happened. But this story is much more than who, when, where, what, all of that. Than just the facts of the story. It's much more than just some things that you memorize for a test. Christmas is a time for us to ask the question, what must that have been like? What must that have been like? And so we're going to ask that question several times this morning. For the people who are going through this experience, what must that have been like? First one, what must that have been like to live a righteous life and then have no children? They lived a righteous life, but they didn't enjoy one of the primary blessings of being married. They didn't have children. Why? Deuteronomy 28 says, if you live a righteous life, God will bless you not with a child, but many children. Sometimes it feels like the promises of God just pass us right on by, doesn't it? They were living the way they were supposed to be living, doing what they were supposed to be doing, but they were not blessed in the way that they thought they should have been, according to the promise of God. What must it have been like to be faithful to God year after year, and yet still no children? Our culture today has changed in many ways, but ladies, it's still, you can testify to this, can't you? It's still an expectation of women that they will produce a child for their husband. And if you don't, what's wrong with you? Why why aren't you having kids? In biblical times, it was considered the woman's fault. Now, we know medically today that a woman may not conceive because it might be the man's fault. But back then, it was always considered, right, Kind of like I am. If, it's, if anything goes wrong, it's Trisha's fault, right? That's the way they did it. They blamed the woman for this. And so Elizabeth lived year after year after year with this scorn, with everyone looking at her. She says, and when this was over, she said, the reproach has been lifted off of me. This, this cloud of shame is now gone. Childlessness was usually considered a punishment from God. What was it like to have everybody looking at you saying, what's wrong with you? What have you done wrong that God's not giving you a child? Did Zechariah ever reach the point where he said to himself, what's the use? Why continue to be faithful to God if it's not going to pay off for me? 
Even though they were a righteous couple, they were not blessed with a child. Things don't always go right, even when we do right. Not only, though, did they not have a child, now they're advanced in years. In other words, the text is saying, their time has passed. It's too late. What would that be like? What would it have been like, though, for Zechariah to be in there doing his priestly duty, lighting the incense, and then look over and there's an angel standing there grinning from ear to ear? What would that have been like? Because you go in there all by yourself, and you know what you're not expecting? To see an angel. Not expecting to see anybody. And you look over, whoa. What would that have been like? We're told that, that he was... Fearful, and the angel even said, calm down, it's okay. Zechariah went in there, and it was a tremendous position of honor that day to go in and to offer incense to God on behalf of the people. And then he looks over and he sees an angel, not who offers incense to God, but an angel who stands in the presence of God. Just so you know, I think he could have smelled heaven on him. What's that? That smells like heaven. This guy just came from heaven. Verse 9 tells us that Zechariah was picked, he was chosen by lot. They would throw these dice and that would determine who would go in, who wouldn't go in. To us, it looks like just random chance. Zechariah is there at that time, on that day. This is something they did every day, twice a day. Zechariah is exactly where God wants him to be for the angel to come and to speak to him. There was no accident here. This to us seems like random chance, but it's actually the steady hand of God controlling the circumstances. What would it have been like to argue with an angel? The angel said, you're going to have a kid. No, I'm not. Here he is talking back to the angel, doubting what the angel is saying. And then the angel says, fine, you won't be able to talk for nine months. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Shut up. Zechariah has now nine months where he can't talk. Now stick with me. I got to believe that for nine months he's saying to himself again and again, Why? Why did I doubt the angel? Why, why did I have to say that? What? You were afraid that maybe the angel was pulling your leg? Maybe the angel's lying. You know, you never can be too sure with these angels. You never know, right? What was he worried about? What would it have been like to have an angel tell you that your son will be great? I've got pictures this morning I'm showing today. People are begging, I know, of my granddaughter. And she's great. 
If you doubt that, just ask me and I'll tell you. She's great. Most parents think their kids are great. Zachariah didn't think his child was great because that's what parents do. He thought his child would be great because that's what the angel told him. What would it be like to have an angel tell you, your son will be great? But then, and you got to believe uh, Gabriel went back to heaven snickering. Zechariah has been told that he will have a son. But he can't tell anybody. Because he can't talk. He's been told that he will have a great son. But he can't tell anybody because he can't talk. Can you imagine? I feel bad for the guy, actually. Can you imagine that first week? You don't circumcise, you don't name the child for eight days after they're born. So... When Zechariah is running around and he wants to tell everybody about this new baby that he's got in his home, right? He's handing out cigars and nobody knows why. He can't tell them. What would it be like to have waited so long for a child and then finally it comes? You finally get what you've been praying for for decades. Year after year after year after year, watching your friends and your families. Oh, look at my baby. Look at my baby. Shut up. Sick of looking at your babies. Not only were they seeing the babies of their friends and family, now it had gone so long, they're starting to see the grandchildren. And every time they get together for the family events at Thanksgiving and at Christmas, well, they didn't have Christmas yet because Jesus wasn't born, but when they get together, you know what I mean. They're all looking at pictures of babies and Zechariah and Elizabeth are sitting in the corner. And you know when they're in their teens, Zechariah, he taps her hand. He says, don't you worry, honey. That's going to be us one of these days. Into their 20s. Don't you worry, honey. That will be us one of these days. Into their 30s, into their 40s, until finally he taps her hand and says, Honey, that will be us one day. And she looks at him and says, No, it won't. Our time has passed. What would it be like to have watched your dream come and go, only to then finally realize it? Finally hold this child. But then, what would it be like to know that this child will be part of God's awesome plan of salvation? You see, this child would be significant if he was just a kid. This, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, this kid becomes their whole world. But this child is not significant just because it's a child, their only child. This child is significant because he will be great. Because he will prepare the way for the Messiah to come. What would that be like? 
What do we learn from this story? We see the anguish of this couple. We see the joy as they finally have their child. What do we learn from this story, though? There's several things that we learn by looking at them and how they live. Number one, we learn about faithfulness. Zechariah was faithful to his work as a priest even though it wasn't working for them. It wasn't paying off. Verse 6 tells us that both Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous. Both of them. That means that they were both pulling in the same direction for God. Can we step out of the text for just a second? Don't ever settle for somebody in your life who isn't going to serve God with you. Amen? That's what Paul means in Corinthians when he says, don't be unequally yoked. Don't settle for anyone. I don't care how much money he makes. I don't care how good looking she is. Don't settle for anyone who isn't going to work with you in the kingdom of God. That day, Zechariah went in there to do what? Hang on, I'll be right back. i got to go talk to an angel. No, he went in there to light some incense. He had about as much expectation that he was going to see an angel that day as we did when we came to church this morning. Right? But he didn't say, well, I better go in there because you never know. An angel may show up. He went in there because he was faithful. Doing what he was supposed to be doing at that point. Verse 23 says that at the end of his service, at the end of his week, he went home. What we're not told is how much time there was between when he saw the angel and when he finished his week. But what we're told is he finished his week. Why is that significant? It's significant because when he came out of that temple, I bet he wanted to get home and tell the missus. You know what I heard? I heard a rumor, we're going to have a kid. Right? I bet he wanted to get home as quick as he could, but he didn't leave until his time of service had been completed. He finished his job. He didn't go home early. He finished his responsibilities. Our faithfulness puts us at a point where God can bless us. This is significant. Zechariah was where he was supposed to be that day, and the angel came to speak to him. What if Zechariah got up that morning and said, man, I'm tired. I've been doing this for years. I've been doing the priest stuff. It's not working for me. The wife is at home with no kids, no grandkids. What if Gabriel went back to God and God said, how'd it go? Yeah, it didn't go because Zechariah didn't show up. I went all the way down there and I looked and somebody else was there. Zechariah was blessed that day because he was where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing. Faithfulness is critical. The second thing we learn from this story 
it's not so good. It's not like faithfulness. It's like disbelief. That's the second thing we learn from Zechariah. Disbelief. The angel says, you won't be able to speak for the next nine months because you didn't believe my words. Zechariah should have remembered Israel's history. Israel starts as a nation by Abraham, remember? An old man who couldn't have kids. And God chose him, and at an old age, even older than Zechariah was at this point. If Zechariah had remembered their history, and the angel came along and said, you're going to have a kid. Well, yeah, God's done that before. The prophet of God, Samuel, was born to Hannah, who couldn't have children either. And she prayed to God. She said, God, give me a child. And God did. If Zechariah had known their history, he would have been more believing when the angel said, you're going to have a kid. Well, yeah, I can buy that. God's done this before. God's blessed old people with kids in the past. He forgot their history. But how many of us today have forgotten our history? We've forgotten what God has done in the lives of those around us. We've forgotten what God has done in our lives. And we suffer with disbelief because we forget our history. And we want to see proof before we're going to believe it. Zechariah has been praying for a child and the angel says, your prayer has been answered. Yeah, I don't believe it. How how will I know? Prove it. We often want to see how everything is going to work out before we believe it. Verse 18, he says, how shall I know this? Because we are old. And he throws up this obstacle. We're too old for this to happen. You see, angel, just between me and you, if it was going to happen... It would have happened by now. Okay, we've been doing our best. It hasn't happened. We're old. And what he was saying was, but now it's too late. Man, I wish you'd come to us 30, 40 years ago. Zechariah was saying, but I just don't see how this is going to happen. In my mind, I want to believe this. I just don't see how it's going to happen. But you understand, faith is not seeing something first and then believing it. Faith is believing something before you see it. Faith is what causes us to believe God's word even when God's word seems impossible. Come back next week, and if you think this is a story that's hard to believe, wait until the same angel comes to a virgin and says, oh, you're going to have a kid too. And her response is, oh, yeah. Faith causes us to believe God's word even when it doesn't make sense, even when it looks impossible. The third thing we learn from this story in looking at Zechariah and his wife is that Christmas is about not giving up. 
How many of us today, if we don't get what we want right away, we give up? Well, that's not going to happen. The promises of God are sure. But the promises of God sure are slow, aren't they? They're not very quick. God's promise that he was going to give a Messiah, it's been hundreds of years since that promise was given. Stick with me. When we begin the gospel narrative, it's been 400 years since God said anything. There were no prophets speaking for that whole period of time. And then all of a sudden, these angels start popping up all over the place. Promises of God are sure, but they're not real quick. Christmas is about not giving up. God's plan will happen when God plans for it to happen. The angel says to Zechariah, he says, well, how will I know? And the angel's like, dude, babies aren't born that quick. You're going to have to wait in due time. This kid will be born. Right? That phrasing there is important. In due time. You know what we know about kids? Kids are born when they finally feel like getting born. You ever go to a woman, what are you waiting on? They look like they're going to pop. Baby's like, I'll come out when I'm good and ready. In due time. The same is true with God's promises. God's promises will be birthed when God is ready. When God says it's time for it to happen. And the challenge for us is to not give up. The question for us is not will God keep his promises, but will I still be holding on when it comes time? Or will I have given up? Number four, the fourth thing we learn in this story is that Christmas is about something bigger than ourselves. You know what Christmas was like when we were very young. Christmas is about the gifts I'm going to get. Yeah, but what are you going to give? Yeah, I'm not worried about what I'm going to give. I'm worried about what I'm going to get. And even as we start growing up, Even then, our gifts are just token things because we're still focused on, what am I going to get? Christmas is a reminder to us that it's not about what we get. It's also about what we give. It's not just about us. Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been so focused on this child. Can you imagine the nursery that they built for this kid? Are you kidding me? They probably had an add-on, a wing to the house for this kid that they have been waiting for for so long, right? And what else has Zachariah got to do? He can't talk, right? But this birth of this child was so important, not because it was just this special child for a couple that couldn't have children but now can. This is a special birth Because it's part of God's plan for salvation. It's bigger than the the two of these people. And it's a reminder to us today that Christmas is bigger than us. Christmas is not just about what we experience. Christmas in that first Christmas was God working through faithful people. 
God did marvelous things through faithful people back then. How many of you know what today is? December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, the beginning of World War II for the United States, when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. Now, we don't fight wars like that anymore. We've got too many smart bombs and all that other stuff. But in that day, you fought battles by just throwing hundreds of thousands of men at their hundreds of thousands of men. The question I've often asked myself as a history major is, could we fight a battle like that today? You know how many men... After December 7th, December 8th, December 9th, December 10th, went and volunteered to go and fight. You know how many young men went and lied about how old they were so they could go and fight for this country and risk their lives? I've often asked myself, could we fight that kind of war today? Could we find enough men who were not so self-centered Right? Because everything's about us today. But you know what the question that then comes to me is? Could God pull off a Christmas today? Could God find faithful people to pull off a Christmas type event today? I'll get ugly for a second. We live in a day and an age where we have to struggle to get people to buy tickets for a lunch. That's the world that we live in today. Zechariah and Elizabeth are faithful people year after year after year. Mary is faithful to God. We're going to see this next week. And she says, hey, if you want to use me, use me. I'm down for it. Could God do a Christmas today with us? Because how many of us are not faithful to God? When Zechariah finally can speak, he's got nine months pent up inside of him. And as soon as his tongue is loosed, he starts praising God. And he starts prophesying about this kid. And he says that this child is going to give light to people in darkness. Folks, is that not us? Is that not our job today? To give light to people who are in darkness? All this time of waiting to brag about being a father. Man, you know he has wanted to strut his stuff for nine months. Got me a kid. Took me a while, but I did it. Finally, when he's got his moment to take credit for being the world's greatest stud... He gives glory to God. Christmas is a reminder that God is the one who's doing the work through us. Now let's put a finer point on this and then we'll close. God has called us to be the light of the world, to point people to Jesus Christ who is the light. But how can we be used of God if we're not being faithful? 
Zechariah was where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing. And God used him. How can we be used of God if we're not continuing in faithfulness? What if Zechariah had said that day, you know, nothing has happened for hundreds of years. Nothing's going to happen today either. I think I'll call in sick. And then the angel appears. Too many of us in our walk with Christ are on again, off again, on again, off again in our faithfulness. Oh, let me remind you, if you're on again and off again, that's not faithful. Right? How many of us have a car and say, oh man, it's a great car. When it starts, it starts. But then when it doesn't, it doesn't. It's on again, off again. Right? Go and try to sell that thing on eBay. Hey, it's a great car. It's faithful when it wants to be. And yet, how many of us, is that a picture of us? We're on again, off again with our faithfulness all the time. Blowing hot one day, blowing cold the next. If we're not consistently consistent, then we're not faithful. And how can we be used of God if we're not faithful? Second, how can we be used of God if we're struggling with disbelief ourselves? The hardest job of the angel that day was convincing Zechariah that he wasn't lying. Convincing this guy, right? Can you imagine when, when Gabriel's packing his bags to come down to earth? He's like, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great, right? I get to deliver some good news, right? I can imagine when he got back to heaven and God said, how did it go? Gabriel's going to say, you know how it went? I want to raise. I'm delivering good news and I got to argue with the guy. If we're going to be used of God, we've got to stop disbelieving what God says. And there's just too many things in God's word of what we're told that God's going to do. And yet we sit back and say, I don't know. I don't know. If we're going to be used of God, we've got to stop doubting. Zechariah asks for a sign indirectly, and he gets one. You won't be able to talk. At a time when he wanted to do nothing but talk, he couldn't. And yet, how many of us today as Christians, we've been commanded to talk, and we don't want to. We've got mouths that work. And yet we won't speak for God. Zechariah wanted to and couldn't. We can, but don't want to. Something great has happened in our lives, and we don't want to talk about it. If we're going to be used by God, we've got to be faithful. We've got to be obedient. We've got to talk about Christ with those around us. If we don't talk about Christ to those around us, who will? If we don't tell them about Jesus, who will? Christmas is an opportunity for us to be reminded about what God wants to do, not just for us, but through us.